Hi, Raphael Bender here, founder of Breathe Education, and you're listening to the Pilates Elephants podcast with me and my co-host, Chloe Bunter. There are many things that are awesome about the Pilates industry. However, many of the practices we take for granted are out of date or just plain pseudoscientific. These are the elephants in the room in Pilates, and we're here to talk about them openly and honestly, and with a fair few F-bombs thrown in. This show is about debunking the myths and giving you science-based tools to become a better, happier, and more fearless teacher. If you've been enjoying the show and you want to give back, give us a five-star rating and write us a glowing review on Apple Podcast app. That'll help other instructors find the show and let us know we're making a difference. We all chase the magical burn, the magical sore bum, sore abs, sore inner thighs after a workout. And we all take it for granted that that is an evidence that we did a good workout and it's now doing us good. But is that in fact the case? Maybe, maybe not. Come and find out and uh, we'll tell you all about it. Hey, Chloe. Hey, Ralph. How are you going? Fuck yeah. <laughs> I love when the intro starts with a laugh. Sorry, everyone. I'm looking at his face and it doesn't mean that makes me want to laugh. It's just, <laughs> oh, no, that came out wrong. It's just so <laughs> I feel like we've already tipped each other over the mm. edge. Um, hi. Hey. <laughs> You're yeah. awesome. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I'm awesome. What's awesome? What's awesome today? What's something that's awesome. Um, well, can you see all these little scratches on me? Oh, yeah, now you mention it. <laughs> so my kitten's still awesome, oh. but wild. Um, Had your tetanus shots, I hope. Yeah, maybe I need my booster, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. It's not a bad idea. Um, what's awesome, uh, I've been really, again, pepped up by all the um, feedback we've got over the last couple of episodes, and uh, particularly our episode, Trolls Just Want to Have Fun, yeah. which, what a name. Those fun-loving trolls. Those fun-loving trolls. Um, so it's really resonated, and it's inspired some really beautiful posts uh, by our BE community of them putting up things where they felt like that they hadn't put it up before because they felt like it wasn't perfect, mm. and they've taken inspiration to lead by example and start putting content out there. Yeah, how cool is Fuck that? Yeah, that's awesome. I know, like that's just. Hey, why don't you DM so me great. that stuff, you guys? Like, or tag me in it on Instagram or something, because I'd love to see that shit. That's awesome. It's so. Yeah. I, I think you are being tagged, Raph. Oh. Definitely. <laughs> He's not on Insta as much yeah. as me, guys. Yeah. He's, you, you're definitely getting more active on there, though. Sure. I've seen you posting stories and. Yeah, I've just learned how to repost someone else's story the other day. I noticed you learned yeah. how to do that. I was like, oh my God, who taught you? Bintu? No, I just figured it out. Oh, you just. <laughs> I was thinking Bintu must have – Bintu's Raf's um, teenage daughter. She's yeah. awesome. Shout out, Bintu. Mm. Yeah. She's kind of cranky with me at the moment. Oh, is she? Yeah. Did you – We've got some new Some sort of discipline around, situation? Uh, homework. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, well. Yeah. I love you, Bintu. Shout out, Bintu. Um, yeah, what's awesome for you? Oh, fuck. Well, that was really <laughs> awesome what you just told me, that <laughs> yeah, people right? are sharing those moments and those stories and putting themselves out there and creating something in the world, building up their stacks of bricks instead of just sitting there and – Waiting. Building their stacks yeah. and building others yeah. is just like, whew. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's awesome being here with you and with all of the, the rest of the crew. All of the rest of the crew, exactly. Yeah. So it's super fun. Um, what are we going to talk about today? Well, today I want to talk about the question of is, is no pain, no gain true? You know, is it, is it important to get sore during and after and or after a workout 
to have an effective workout, right? So if you if you saw the next day, does that mean you had a good workout? If you're not sore the next day, does that mean you didn't have a good workout? And if your bum's burning, does that mean that is that a good thing? I'm I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to this because I would definitely be one of the people that I freaking love some DOMS, some delayed onset muscle soreness. The next that is I I love that. I love it. I love what you, it. What I, do you love about it? I love it. Are we gonna we're going to dive in. We're going to do close right. DMs. Yeah, no, no. That, I want to hear your DMs. You're gonna, yeah, yeah, there's, there's, it's and been. And then, then we can learn what you love about it. And after. then we can learn what, yeah. And I feel like I'm not the only one that loves, loves a, loves a decent set of, decent set of doms. Um, okay. Gosh, there's been quite a lot, hasn't there? But there's been a lot know. of DMs. <laughs> <laughs> so are we ready to go for Chloe's DMs? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the tone you added into that, Raph, the inflection. I really enjoyed that. Okay, so as always, brilliant, brilliant um, messages and into my DMs, uh, predominantly on Insta. And what we're noticing with the DMs is you guys are asking the most freaking awesome questions. They're starting to get quite detailed and like this, it, there's probably whole episodes in there. Uh, there's definitely um, a really great opportunity for these DMs to be answered by Raf in his... Stop faking it and really know your stuff. Live Q&A every week. Excellent. And can you give a little more detail about that, Raf? Because it's... So you don't find that on the podcast app. How do people find uh, well, that? There's a link to it in the show notes. Okay, and, awesome. And uh, there's a page on our website but you know we'll just link to it in the show notes and you just book in it's free it's live every week it's an hour it's uh wednesdays wednesday australia time tuesday afternoon evening u.s time depending on where you are in the u.s um and it's just it's literally a live open mic um where we just talk we just geek the fuck out over anatomy biomechanics physiology you know what are the which muscle fibers are recruited when I do blah, 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 or what's the best exercise for someone with sciatica or what is desiccated disc disease and, you know, like... Yeah, it's yeah. it's really your jam. It's your jam. Yeah. So um, if they can't attend live, though, how will you they can, see their questions being answered? You can still send in your questions um, and uh, I, will, I answer questions first come, first served. Um, and I give preference to those who are in attendance live and we've deliberately scheduled it at a time where... It's during, it's lunchtime in Australia. Um, and even if you're in the one the West Coast in Perth, it's still like, you know, 10 in the morning or something like that. It's lunchtime on the East Coast of Australia and it's 5 or 6 p.m. Um, in, in the US, um, you know. So uh, so it, it's, it's not in the middle of the night anywhere except for poor old England and Europe. So right. sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so if you can, if you send them in, I will answer them, but it might take a while for them to pop up because I do preference the folk who are live on the call okay okay so uh, some dms that i've been sent in that would fit really well with that i'm going to send them over to you and they'll magically just appear and get answered awesome so what we think would be an even better fit for the chloe's dms section is more the philosophical questions like you want my my opinion on something uh, not so much the 
anatomical, biomechanical side of things. Um, we'll get some factoids on that, some cold hard factoids with Raph. But you just want Chloe's opinion on, you know, something that's going on at work or in your love life or whatever, hit me up and we'll, we'll I'll have a chat. Mm, what's the best kind of cat, for example? Great, great question. <laughs> <laughs> my favourite brand of red lipstick. No, but like, come on, you know, like hit me up with some, some good questions. Um, yeah, so we think that that will be a really good fit. And then the anatomical, biomechanical, etc. we're going to shoot them off to Raph. Mm. Cool. Okay. Well, that's the end of Chloe's DMs today. Well, don't you want to give a shout out to all the like, oh, yeah. we've got well, like I, half a dozen or more in there. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, true. <laughs> Let me find some names. Um, we have a shout out to... Cat Web. Hey, Cat. Woo! You're How awesome. much do we love Cat Web? This much. He's doing like really large arms, but I would say we love Cat Web even more than that. So, Cat Web owns Good Times Pilates in Fitzroy. She is a Breathe EDU grad. Uh, she is a mentor studio for us. Uh, she would also be one of my best friends. So, there you go. Um, shout out to Cat, Alison. Malik. Malik, yep, Alison Malik. Big shout out to Alison. We love Alison just as much. Big arms. She's also a, um, not saying Alison has big arms, just say that c- could be really misconstrued, couldn't it? I'm saying that Raph is stretching his <laughs> arms out big again. Um, <laughs> she is also a Breathe Grad. Yeah. Yeah, flying the Breathe Grad flag high. Um, gosh, I, I don't know this person's name. Oh, Rosha. Rosha. She's from an Argentine Pilates instructor living in Houston. Awesome, Rosha. Yeah. Shout out. Shout out to Rosha. Rosha asked a great question about SI joint pain uh, during pregnancy, which Raph will answer in his... I look forward to answering it. Looks forward to answering that. Oh, they're still going. This is fantastic. Uh, Leslie. Leslie Pickering Pilates. Uh, Leslie is... Awesome. She's got some fantastic questions too. And Do you know again, where Leslie's from? I think Leslie might be from the States. It'd be awesome when you send in your questions if you tell us where you're from. Yeah, that would be. Oh, silly. Uh, Leslie has, and I just need to open my eyes a little bit. Sorry, Leslie. I'm based in the UK. Hey, Leslie. And certified as a plaza instructor 20 years ago. And... Um, she feels now she's been a she's been a little outdated with some of her cueing etc., and that her whole kind of world and eyes and whatnot have opened to a new way thanks to Pilates Elephants. Freaking awesome, Leslie! Thanks uh, for that. We and we we you. love you, Leslie. Mm. So thank you. And your question will also head into uh, Raf's Raf's show. Okay, I think that's a that's about it. I'm awesome sure there's work. more, but shout out to yeah. everyone. Yeah, thank you. Okay, well, let's get into some well, doms. Yeah, so wh- why do you like a good set of doms? Mm, so I've kind of all I, – I try and think, when did I first discover doms? Well, doms it obviously would is have been the, the soreness you get after exercise, right, when you when you work out a You lot. remember on your birthday episode, you're like, why did you just call me? Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. That's actually where we decided that that would be a good idea for a whole episode. Mm. Um I have loved getting delayed onset muscle soreness, uh, meaning, you know, that that feeling the, the next day that shows up after a workout uh, when you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. It really worked. My butt or my thighs or my abs or my whatever. 
rarely do we go, oh, yeah, really loving those neck doms, mm. really loving those lower back doms, but mm. I'm going to love them. Um, but I've been a fan of the doms since I was a teenager. Mm. And, yeah, used to love doing a good good ab session or good workout at the gym and feeling sore the next day. And I absolutely equated it with that meant I had pushed myself hard enough. Mm -hmm. That meant it was effective. And I'm really looking forward to this episode to understand the evidence around it because, guys, I'm not sitting here going, hey, I know what – like I I haven't – Raf's done the research on this one. So I'm not sitting here going, I know what the answer is. Because for me, psychologically, psychologically, I still fucking love getting doms. Mm -hmm. I love it. Like uh, Laura, Laura Sagers and I co-taught a masterclass the other week. And I think it was, you know, it was a bit of fun having each other there to torture. Smashed each other and we think everyone else partaking (laughs) in that class. I woke up in the morning. What did we do? Like my butt was that sore then by the end of that, second like that day that next day my low abs were on fire to the point if it was hard to laugh she's messaging me going what's wrong with us i'm in so much pain right now <laughs> what did we do <laughs> and yeah i love it and the last time i went to the gym and did my first um uh, leg press heavy leg press session for a long time oh that was almost me too much mm. that was four days yeah. Four days of sort of, you know, ooh, almost debilitating mm. <laughs> doms. And, so and is, I still loved it though. All right. So is it, is it, you said, you know, because it feels like, you know, that you work, you push yourself really yeah. hard, right? It feels like that that for me, and I, and I would say that this would be for a lot of my clients too, because the narrative for my clients when I was teaching Bondi was the popular teachers were the ones that left them feeling sore for the Mm -hmm. next couple of days. Mm -hmm. Like they wanted the teacher where they felt like they had a hard time walking up the stairs the next day or Mm -hmm. they had a hard time laughing because their abs were so sore. Oh, all right. Well, great. Thanks for that insight. That's freaking awesome. And um, you know what? I reckon uh, that gives me some a fantastic idea about the the outcomes for this this episode. Um, uh-huh. So yes, yeah, so I want to look at the 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 evidence on like, okay, is it actually important to get sore? Like, is being sore an indicator that you yeah. did an effective workout? And what about soreness during the workout as well? Um, and then at the uh, at after that, I, we can look at like if 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 clients persist you know if clients desire that sensation right if they seek that sensation of like that's evidence that there was a great class and i'm going to go back to that class next week right well wouldn't it be great if we had extra skills in our in our back pocket about how to induce more doms oh yeah totally (laughs) so stick around to the end and we'll uh we'll give you some tricks I feel like going more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll use our powers for evil. <laughs> <laughs> I freaking love the idea of that. Okay, great. Awesome. <laughs> um, so what about ex- what about soreness during? You know, is that something that you you seek out? You know, like when your bum's burning or your abs are burning or whatever. Oh, you know, okay. Um, yeah. Yes, yes. Not always. Okay. Hmm. In my own personal work, like if I'm just, let's say, going through the OG Pilates repertoire in in a flow, I'm actually not seeking that out, interestingly, right? However, if I'm doing a session at the gym or if I'm doing like a hit session or something, yes, my that is 
kind of my indicator, you know, because you're getting to that point just prior to failure, that starts to hurt and shake and all of that. So I'm absolutely seeking that out as as a this is, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, when I go for a run, um, I'm I'm actively trying to get uncomfortable. And is, part of, is part of that because you want to build the mental discipline, the mental toughness? Uh, I don't think that is what it is for me. Um, for me, it's just about getting – like pushing my body to that point where it's getting a workout. Do you know what I mean? Where I'm either stimulating strength or I'm pushing into cardio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what if – so let me pose this hypothetical question. I was just going to say, though, just before the hypothetical question, because I just answered for me, for my clients and what I've consistently seen over the near on nine years of teaching group classes, group Pilates classes, 100, I'm, I'm sorry, the majority, and I know that won't be everyone. And I know, for instance, Nick Maz, she, she does, so Nick Maz, our general manager, she doesn't like to push to that, like doesn't like to feel that burn in, in Pilates. That's I not her like goal. You don't either? No. Right. I will tell you right now, though, the majority of clients who are going to a group reformer or group mat class, 100%, including in a beginners, whatever level, expect to be points throughout that class where they're reduced to, oh my God, my bomb's so on fire, or my abs are so on fire, or my arms are so on fire, I don't want to do another rep. And that definitely correlates with, that was a good workout. Right. All right, so let me pose this hypothetical question mm-hmm. and, and you can answer it on, for you and also for these clients, right? Mm-hmm. So just say you went, into, you went to a class and at no point during that class were you sore. You're like, oh, this is pretty easy, right? Mm-hmm. But then the next day you woke up and you go to spring out of bed and you're like, ooh, mm. silent but deadly. It's happened to me before yeah. actually. So, so how do you judge? Was that a good class, not a good class? It, okay, it has so it it's not even hypothetical because it has happened to me before. I remember once I went to I can't it was years ago. I went to a beginners mat class, and the class was very slow, very very slow. We were in positions for quite a long period of time. I didn't feel intense like oh my god, I'm almost at failure at any point throughout it. The next day, I woke up with the most insane like a duck, like inner thigh doms legs everything I was like oh my god that's amazing my brain goes that was actually an effective workout I didn't waste my time so do do you even because and I don't think I'm different to a lot of people so would you even consider that like a higher level of skill to teach a class that like during the class it like seems easy but then afterwards it's like it really gets you no I don't know that that's necessarily a high level of skill um, I, I, because there's I'm, many I'm, reasons I'm why not, I was, I'm not saying it is no no but there's yeah. many reasons why I could have been that sore right mm-hmm. you know maybe I hadn't been doing any adductor inner thigh work mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. I, my tissues deconditioned to that mm-hmm. any level of what I do I'm probably going to get you know potentially going to get a bit sore mm-hmm. I don't know we're going to explore the science yeah. on it but what I will say that what you constantly hear in studios is that is what the clients want. Mm-hmm. So you've you got to give the clients what they want, right? Or are they going to come back to that class? Are they going to – no. Do, do you know what I mean? That's kind of the – anyway, take it away. Give me some mm. – hit me with some facts, man. <laughs> I'm sitting here chomping at the bit for some facts. I know how I feel about it, but I yeah. want to hear some facts. Like what even are DOMS? Uh, well, we the 
short answer is we we don't really know what right. what DOMS are. I thought that um, was the case. The the DOMS is kind of the layperson's term for it. In okay. the literature, it's called EIMD, exercise induced muscle damage, um, and which just means the same thing, right? Um, but basically, um, DOMS you know starts six to 48 hours after you start your work, after you finish your workout. Um, so usually it's kind of like the next day, but sometimes it can be a couple of days before it kicks in. And then it lasts like, you know, one to three days, sometimes even four days if it's really severe. Um, and after you do a real extreme workout, we can measure, like if you do a blood test or something, we can measure more um, bits of cells floating around in your in your blood. And that's because like if you burst some muscle cells and damn, you know, tears the walls of some muscle cells or whatever during the workout, because it's a really fatiguing workout, well, you know, the innards of those cells kind of leak out and float around in your bloodstream. And then wow. we give you a blood test and go, oh, they've got cell bits inside you. <laughs> wow. So that tells us that there's been a damage to your muscle cells, right? Yep. Um, and so we can, you know, we can measure that, you know, straight after the workout, you know, six hours, 12 hours, 24 hours, 48 hours, et cetera, after the workout. And we can, and we can see it, you know, the, the muscle damage peaks at a certain time, like maybe, you know, 12 or 24 hours after the workout. And then it goes down as the cells are repaired, right, yep. over a few days. Um, and what we find is that that doesn't correlate with how much soreness you have. Right. Right. So, so the soreness has its own trajectory that goes, you know, one or two or three days, Right, and the damage has its own trajectory, right. but the curves don't match. Right, so you can be super sore three days after your workout, but actually there was minimal damage. Right, or you can have like a lot of, you know, cell parts floating around your blood, but you're not that sore. Right, right. So the the presence of soreness seems to correlate with the presence of damage. Right, so if you, if you've got some soreness after your workout, it probably means that there was some muscle damage. Right, right. But how much soreness you have doesn't correlate with how much muscle damage there was. And how long the soreness takes to go away doesn't tell you how quickly the damage is repaired. Hmm. Okay. So this word damage mm-hmm. doesn't have the nicest connotation, does it? No. Oh, <laughs> dramatic pause, everyone. <laughs> No, no, it doesn't. Could we explore what you mean by damage a little more, please? You know, like when did you hear someone say damage, but in a good way? So, (laughs) do we mean muscle growth? No, damage. Literally damage. Literally damage. Like literally bursting the walls of your muscle cells, ripping the cell inner parts from their structural foundations and spewing them out into the bloodstream. Yeah, I just got some nocebo thrown at me across the desk, you guys. No, but so, <laughs> but uh, I need more. All right. So, well, um, is it good to damage your muscles? Maybe, probably not. Oh, is it detrimental to damage your muscles? Probably. Oh. <laughs> this just took a turn for the worst. I did not know this was coming. <laughs> Maybe we should brief before these episodes. <laughs> no, no, I, lo- I think this is great. Nice and spontaneous. I'm like, <laughs> I'm so, here with all the facial expressions, you guys. So, all right, so can we, can we just back up a little bit? I think step we need to. I want to um, start this story with, um, so your muscles are made up of muscle cells, uh-huh. right? Just like all of your body parts are made up of, you know, your liver is made up of liver cells and your bones are made up of bone cells and all of that. Um, and so each muscle cell is uh, the full length of, it's a, it's a little tube, Right, it's a little cylinder, your mm-hmm. muscle cell. 
um, and it's the full length of a muscle, right? So you know, the muscle cells in your biceps, they're, they're the full length of your upper arm, right? So they might be like 20, 30 centimeters long, mm-hmm. right? Um, and each muscle cell is, you know, depend the, 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 the width of the muscle, the diameter of the muscle cell uh, is different in different people because as you do strength training, your muscle cells get bigger, mm-hmm. right? So each individual cell gets bigger. So the, the size might range from, let's say, 50 microns to 100 microns. And, and, and a micron is one thousandth of a millimeter, right? So, so 100 microns you know, the biggest muscle cells. So this is like someone who does a lot of strength training, like a, a bodybuilder, yeah. right? Would have a muscle cell that would be like 100 microns, which is a one-tenth one of a millimeter. Would your, a yours, you do a lot of... Yeah, but I'm talking about like Mr. Universe or okay. something, you know, like people Arnold that are like... Have to, no, yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger in his heyday. Like in people, his heyday, yeah. People who have to turn sideways to go through doors. You know? <laughs> 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 um, and whereas in the average person, you know, it might be 50 microns, which is one two hundredth of a millimeter, mm-hmm. right? And so if you think about like a, a, a fine human hair, right, that'd be roughly 80 or 100 microns, right? So basically the the smallest, you know, the, the, the finest thing that you could see with the naked eye if you had good vision, mm-hmm. you know, is about 80 to 100 microns, mm-hmm. right? So, so the average person's muscle cell, if you pulled it out and stuck it on the table, you wouldn't be able to see it. It's too small to see with the naked eye, too narrow, right? But it's the full length of your of your muscle. Um, and so a muscle is made up of a bundle of those five, mm. just like, you know, strands of spaghetti. Although spaghetti is not a really good one, uh, not a good metaphor because I must it's, admit, it's, that's, it's rigid. That's what yeah. I was envisioning, strands yeah. of spaghetti, no? I think maybe strands of yarn, strands of wool, right? So think about, you know, like wool that you knit a jumper or a scarf with, right? Mm. So think about, um, so each each muscle fibre is actually made up of, um, inside the muscle fibre, there are contractile proteins um, and they act in a mice and they do their little caterpillar walk along each other, right? I love whenever that pops up somewhere on my Instagram or Facebook, because it always, I'm like, is this an animation? It's like, this is not an animation. So freaking cool. Yeah. It yeah. is pretty cool. Really um, cool. So, so in in each muscle cell, which is a cylinder, mm-hmm. right? It's it's basically think about imagine like some strands of yarn, some strands of wool, right? Yarn, we're in Australia, so we say yarn, but it's Y A R N. So if you were in the US, you would have saw it yarn. Yarn. <laughs> yarn, y'all. <laughs> um, so I've been practicing. <laughs> <laughs> sound like you're from New York. To Thank me. I you. I thought so. Um, uh, you know, I, I've talked to a few people in the US and I learned something recently that really surprised me. They said, oh, are you from Australia or the UK? And I was like, oh. what do you mean? And they're like, oh, we can't tell the difference. Your accents sound the same to us. <laughs> wow. I, I'm going to assume that everyone from the UK is highly offended at that because when I lived in the UK, so I lived in Stratford-upon-Avon for a couple of years, uh, Shakespeare country in the Midlands. Did you run into Shakespeare? I went to Shakespeare's house. I did not because he's long dead, but I got to go in his house where he grew up. Tell you what, they were short. Mm. Like you, and I, I'm not a tall person and I had to do the big stoop didn't, to get under the doors. Didn't do Pilates. Um, well, they right did there. things like they literally threw, and we're really digressing, but it's a fun story. They literally threw their poo out the window into their garden. Mm, so fertilizer. they fertilised mm. Well, and we wonder why the plague and all whatnot. But anyway, where were we going with this? Oh, accents. Mm. So I was actually managing an accessorised store on the high street. 
and um, I was the only Aussie in the village. So it wasn't like if you went to London and, you know, you ended up with a whole heap of expats. Uh, and, oh, my God, my accent was so amplified to me back into my ears and how horrendous it is that every single thing we say sounds like a question. Like we go up, 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 up. English people don't go up. They go down. Mm. So I learned that and I learned to go down. Mm. And then when I moved home, my brother goes, Shoot, you sound like a wanker. I went, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> that got it out of me pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Shout mm. out to my brother, Nick, for that one. Mm. And a few other hard, cold truths. Mm. <laughs> anyway, we digress. So, yeah, yeah, accents. So, I don't think we sound English, but that's unusual. So, mm. Americans think Aussies and English well, sound I mean, the same. It, could you tell a difference in if you just listen to two people, one's from, like, say, Connecticut and one's from Wisconsin, could you tell a difference? No, I could probably hear little subtleties. The one I stuff up a lot is Canadians versus Americans. Yeah. And it's they don't love it when you stuff that up. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. Mm. Anyway, right. back so to muscles. Muscle fibres. <laughs> so um, each muscle fibre. So think about each muscle fibre. It's this long cylinder. Mm -hmm. It's the full length of your muscle. Um, one cell is one fibre. Mm -hmm. um, and each cell is 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 a cylinder. It's made up of, of uh, think of the inside of it, of like this of maybe two inch or five centimetre bits of wool, bits of yarn, mm -hmm. right, that you'd like you knit a scarf with. And so maybe, like, imagine, um, like, uh, a piece of yarn, you know, a couple inches long, and then, you know, a whole bundle of those, so maybe, like, 10 or 20 or 30, you know, bits of two-inch yarn, all sort of side by side, and you kind of got your finger, you're holding them around in your hand so that they poke out each end, and it's kind of like this, just a cylinder, yep. you know, made of, of wool, right? And imagine they're like, let's just, let's make them kind of a, a, a taupe colour, you know, sort of a, a, a greeny, aqua-y, kind of bit bluey, you know, a nice taupe. Um, and then we've got a, a, another set of fibres, and that, that, what, that would be the actin fibres, right? Mm -hmm. A-C-T-I-N, the one of the two contractile proteins. Mm -hmm. And then you've got myosin, which is the yeah. other contractile protein. And let's make them, I don't know, what colour should we make the myosin fibres? We've got torp. What Yellow. else? Yellow. Yellow. Okay. You're not like goldenrod or... Golden um, then. Okay. What colour are they really? I don't know. Red? <laughs> <laughs> in, in books, they're usually red or yellow. Yeah. Yeah. But who knows what the actual colours are? Because I think when when we see them under electron microscopes, they're always stained. Right. So, um, it's like they're just the colour of the stain. Yeah. Um, so anyway, well, they're golden. Golden. Right? Okay. In our example, right? Uh -huh. um, and so it's just another set of you know two inch long yarn strands that are you know golden, right? And so in in a little group, you know, like squished together. And, and so basically, and now let's kind of interleave them. So like we've got, you know, they're, they're end to end, mm -hmm. right? And then we slide them into each other so that the, 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 the strands interleave, mm -hmm. right? So the golden strands and the, and the torp strands, you know, the kind of aqua bluey strands are all, they're all kind of interwoven, intermixed, you mm -hmm. know, they're alternating, right? Interdigitating. Um, and but not the whole lot, right? Only half, you know, half of the half of the length of each of those things bundles is overlapped, right? Mm -hmm. And so each end of that whole big set of strands now is, you know, one end's torp, the other end's golden, and in the middle it's like half and half because they're all mixed together. Can you picture it? Yeah. All right. So those are the contractile proteins, and and so a muscle is just made up of that's called a sarcomere, right? That mm -hmm. that little bundle of proteins and then the muscle is just made up of shitloads of them end to end to end to end technical to end. term technical <laughs> term shitloads 
and, and so what happens is those those proteins they basically con- connect and pull each other along. You know, mm. they, they 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 squeeze, like squeeze each other. Like a little caterpillar. Right. So the strands sort of pull together until the overlap is complete. Mm-hmm. Right. They completely overlap, mm-hmm. and all of the strands along the whole muscle do that simultaneously, mm. and that shortens the uh, the overall length of the muscle, yeah. and then they can relax, and then that allows it to lengthen out again. Mm-hmm. So that's the basic sort of thing of how a muscle, you know, what a muscle is. And each, uh, so then that's one muscle fiber, mm. right? And then, you know, how do we make that contract? Well, we've got a nerve that goes to it from your brain, goes through your spinal cord, yeah, um, in your brain and spinal cord, that's called your central nervous system. And then when the nerve exits your spinal cord, it's the same nerve, but all of a sudden it's called your peripheral nervous system because mm-hmm. we've just made that name. Um, and then it goes, and it's, it goes to the muscle fiber, and it attaches onto the muscle fiber, and that is called a motor nerve because it, it, it tells the muscle fiber to, to move. Mm-hmm. So that motor nerve innervates the muscle fiber. And when you send a signal down that motor nerve and it gets the muscle fiber, the muscle fiber contracts. Mm. Right? You release calcium and anyway, it doesn't matter what you do. Mm-hmm. But all right, and so but what we actually have is in our body is we've got many, many fibers that have one motor nerve for that fiber. But then often we have one motor nerve that innervates like two or three or four or ten or 50, or 100, or 400 fibers with just one nerve, right? So some muscle fibers just have one motor nerve that goes to that fiber, right? So we can turn that fiber on or off. And then some muscle fibers are in a group of three or five muscle fibers, right? And the motor nerve that innervates all of those fibers has little, like, splits off little bits at the end, right? And and innervates all five fibers, say. And so whenever we send a signal down that nerve, all five muscle fibers contract, Right, so you can either contract all those five muscle fibers together, or you can not contract them together. Mm-hmm. Right, and then we have other, you know, some fibers are in bigger bundles, and 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 that that group of muscle fibers plus the nerve that innervates it is called a motor unit. Right, that's just muscle fiber. So basically, you can turn on a motor unit, but you can't turn on part of a motor unit because the on switch turns all the lights on at once. Right, mm-hmm. you can't just turn on some of the lights. Um, and so we have these motor units and some, some motor units are just one muscle fiber and some are two or five or 10 or a hundred. And we've got motor units that are up to 400, 500 muscle fibers mm-hmm. in our body, right? And so, you know, why would we have, you know, motor units with, you know, some, some muscle fibers with one motor, motor neuron, right? Motor nerve going to one fiber and then other motor, muscle fibers with one motor nerve going to like, 25 muscle fibers. Why would we have that? It's a great question. I don't know. Do you know the answer? I'm assuming you do. I have, I have zero clue. Well, um, if we had uh, 25 nerves going to 25 muscle fibers, instead of one nerve going to 25 muscle fibers, we'd need 25 times more nerves. Right. We need more nerves. But So I get that we'd need more nerves, but why is there a distinction between some only need the one and others need multiple. Mm. Well, do you know why we why we don't just have more nerves? Like, why wouldn't we just have twenty five times times more nerves? I'm going to say something that's going to sound really dumb, so I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I've got like this, like really like fun cartoon image yeah. in my head of maybe how big your brain would have to be. That's exactly oh, right. Oh my god! Okay. Well, <laughs> you, inside your spinal. 
inside okay, your cool. vertebrae, okay, right? Yeah. You've got a spinal a spinal a nerve canal, yeah. right? This little tube that goes down the back part of your yeah, spinal it it'd have to get really. column, right? And all of your brain, you know, has axons that go down through there, like just long tails on the nerves. Mm. That that's your spinal cord, right? Your spinal cord is just part of your brain, yeah, right. And so, if we had twenty five times more nerves, well, that would be twenty five times thicker. Right, so your your spine would have to be instead of like two inches wide, it would have to be like four feet wide. Right, see the problem? Yeah. <laughs> so so we have to economise. We would be really unusual <laughs> looking, wouldn't we? Yeah. We would just look totally different. Like we would have evolved yeah, and, to look totally different. And not to mention in your actual brain as well. Exactly <laughs> like you said. Like if we had twenty five times more, you know, connectors in there, we'd have to have twenty five times more. Nerves and a nerve is a brain cell, like brain cells are nerves. So right? the image now I'm getting, it's less cartoon and it's more alien. You know yeah. how they always do aliens with the massive heads. Yeah. There we go. So um, so we've got so we 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 have these motor units that are you know multiple muscle fibers innervated by a single nerve because it's for economy, right? It's, yeah. It's it's cheaper. Yeah. Right? Okay. <laughs> Um, and uh, after after we take a little break, we'll come back and talk about your question about why we have some with one and some with 25. Why don't we just have them all with five each? Yeah. You know, like. Let's be even more economical. Yeah. Hey, Rafi, if you're out there in the world thinking, gee, I'm a pretty awesome Pilates instructor and everyone's telling you you're awesome, but then sometimes a client asks you a question and you think, fuck, I feel like an idiot now because I think, feel like I should know the answer to that, but I don't know the answer to that. So I'm just going to smile and say, why don't you do footwork instead? And um, sometimes you feel like you're faking it and you can't really understand what's going on inside people's bodies. Well, come and do a Q&A with me every week. We do a live one and it's called Stop Faking It and Really Know Your Stuff. And it really could should be called Stop Faking It Really Know Your Shit. But um, it's called Stop Faking It Really Know Your Stuff. So that's where you come and ask me questions about anything related to anatomy, biomechanics, why does my shoulder hurt in this exercise, what's this muscle for, anything, whatever. Your client's got this weird medical condition, what is it? You know, whatever questions you've got, come and ask me. Okay. So before the break, Chloe just figured out that <laughs> we... You did. That I'm not as dumb as I thought, is that what you've asked? No, to say? no, you figured out, what I was going to say is you figured out the reason why we don't just innovate every single muscle fibre with its own nerve is because our spine would have to be like four feet wide and our head would have to be like <laughs> 10 feet wide. Oh, it's funny. So, um, and that's the correct answer. Isn't that funny? Um, I was like, I'm not going to say it, I'm not going to say it, but this is really what I'm thinking it is. So, yeah, um, okay. So, and so the question, the next question is, well, if we can have, you know, one muscle fiber, in uh, like 25 muscle fibers innovated by one nerve, why don't we just have all of them, you know, 25, mm. you know, why don't we save even more space? Well, the answer is, uh, it's to do with the fineness of control that we need at each muscle fiber, uh -huh. right? Yeah. So if you've got a muscle, say, that's got a hundred fibers in it, mm -hmm. right? Um, and you've got 100 nerves innovating, like one nerve innovating each fiber, Right, and you want to turn, you know, you wanted to con have control over how strongly you contract that muscle. So I think like a volume knob, right? And imagine the volume knob goes from zero to full, right? And it's got one hundred positions, right? Yeah, you can turn it in one hundred increments, right? So you can turn it up to you know nine percent, thirteen percent, you know twenty one percent, whatever percentage you want, right? You can do it in one yeah. degree increments. Whereas imagine now that you've got that same muscle with hundred muscle fibers but you've got four bundles of 
four motor units, each of which has 25 fibers, mm. right? So they've only got four motor nerves going to that muscle now, and each one controls 25 fibers. Well, now your volume knob only has four positions on it, right? So you can have it off, you can have it a quarter of full power, you can have it half of full power, you can have it three quarters of full power, or you can have it full power. Those are your four options, right? So you've got much less fine control mm. over that muscle. So I'm thinking things like hands. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers, you want to have Fingers. like... Uh, small motor units, right? Like one-to-one. Right. Like maybe the muscles that control your eye, your oculomotor mm-hmm. muscles, right? Maybe you, some of your facial muscles mm. for those fine expressions and things like that, you yeah. know? So, um, and uh, your vocal cords, you know, to subtly alter the tone of your voice uh, and stuff, you know? Yeah, cool. Makes total sense. Mm. And where would you where would you guess you'd have like, you know, a motor unit with 400 muscle fibres in it or 500 muscle fibres in it, anybody? Were you going to say you're in your quadriceps? So, so sorry, <laughs> my brain just, oh, I just lost my brain for a moment. Sorry, I, I just got a little bit confused whether you're meaning that is more or less. Yeah, so if you had a motor unit with four or 500 muscle fibres, so that's one nerve that innovates 400 muscle fibres. Gotcha. Right? Abs, maybe, like rectus abdominis? Yeah, maybe rectus abdominis. I'm thinking like your, your vastus lateralis and your leg, you know, your big outside quadriceps. Right. You know, maybe um, your, some of your hamstrings and things like that. Like things where you basically – when you want to use your quadriceps, you probably don't, you're not going to be like, you know, doing fine motor skills with them. Gotcha. Like you want to produce force, yeah. you know, with them. Calf Whereas, muscles. Yeah, probably calf muscles, things like that. Yeah. 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 Bam. Glutes. Yeah. Probably probably glutes as well, mm, right? Cool. Because when we want to, if you want to turn your quadriceps on at 50%, it's much easier to just press one button that does that rather than having to turn on 50 light switches <laughs> yeah, to yeah. turn on the 50 lights, right? It's mm-hmm. less, less less literally less energy because it takes energy to produce would it be muscles that we need to like if i'm thinking about from an evolutionary perspective and thinking about you know having to get away from the the hairy mammoth that's coming towards you or the tiger or the whatever danger like just those those muscles where you just need to right so right so exactly like if you come in come into your house and you know if you have uh, small, if you have lots and lots of lights around your house, and each light has its own light switch. So if you want all the lights on, you have to turn on every single light, right? Yeah. But that allows you, if you just want, if you want it dim, you can just turn on one light or just two lights or whatever. And so that gives you a lot more fine control. But if you want to turn on all the lights, it takes longer, right? Whereas if you just got one master switch by the front door and it just turns on and off all the lights, just one switch for the whole house, right? Mm. Well, you've got zero control over how over how fine the the light is, but you can turn on everything really quick. Yeah. Right. And so that's probably the more the case in your in your quadriceps and your yeah. glutes and your calf muscles and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Cool. Gotcha. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. So um it's also the case that within each muscle, right? So it's not really the case that, you know, there's one muscle that's got like every muscle fiber's got its own nerve and other muscles where it's like only five hundred mm. muscle fibers per nerve. Like every muscle has some, you know, smaller motor units with just a few muscle fibers. Right, and then some medium-sized ones, and then some bigger ones. Right, mm-hmm. but in your things like your fingers and your eyes and whatever, you've probably got more smaller ones. Mm-hmm. Right, and in your in your thighs and your butt and whatever, you've probably got more bigger ones. Mm-hmm. Right, um, and so in every muscle, there are you know motor units that are small, medium, and large. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we have when we contract the muscle just a little bit, we contract the small motor units. Mm-hmm. You know, we turn on just one of the lights. You know, around the room, and when we want to contract the muscle powerfully, we then we kick in the bigger motor units, as you know, because you turn on one switch, it turns on five hundred muscle fibers. Mm-hmm. Bam, that's that's easier, right? And so they're always recruited in order, right? So if you do a low level task, you always recruit the low 
you know, the small muscle, the small motor units, mm-hmm. right? And then if you do like a, a medium intensity task, like you, you, you lift up something, you know, moderately heavy, right? You always recruit those low, uh, small muscle motor units and then also the middle-sized motor units, right? And it's only when you do a really high-intensity task, that's the only time you recruit those high-end, those bigger, you know, 400 muscle fiber motor units, right? Mm-hmm. So the only, so if you're just walking around, having a cup of tea, sitting on the sofa, typing on your computer, talking on the phone, doing all that normal stuff that people do, you're basically just recruiting your, you know, small and maybe your medium motor units, right? And basically those high motor units, what they call the high threshold motor units, because they only work when you really pump out a strong nerve signal. Um, you basically don't recruit them from one day to the next in just your normal everyday activities. Is this still making sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I'm with you. Um, and so now we come back to, you know, now that we have this picture, we come back to, you know, back to DOMS and its relationship with soreness, mm-hmm. right? And so it turns out that now there, there, you know, I wouldn't say that this is settled science yet, but I'd say it's pre, it's getting there. It's it's relatively relatively settled that it it seems pretty clear that the primary stimulus for increasing muscle strength, right? So when when you exercise, right, and then you get stronger after, like what happens inside the muscle that triggers the muscle to get stronger, right? How does the muscle know to get stronger, right? Well, it turns out that the primary thing that triggers that is high levels of mechanical tension, right, on individual muscle fibers, right? So if you put a high level of tension on one muscle fiber, that muscle fiber will be triggered to get stronger, right? But if you don't put a high level of tension on the fiber next door, then the fiber next door won't get stronger, Mm -hmm. right? So the muscle, quote, unquote, doesn't get stronger. It's like individual fibers either get stronger or not. Right, and when all of the fibers get stronger, well, that's when the muscle gets stronger. Mm-hmm. And so, high levels of tension is is the main trigger for muscle fibers getting stronger. Right, so when you apply high level of tension to muscle fiber, that's what stimulates it to get stronger. In fact, how do they know this? Well, lots of rats have donated their bodies to to science to understand the answer to this question. And so, what they do is they. Um, I just did a little sad face for those that couldn't have, those that maybe can't see me. I just did a little bit. Oh. Look, I'm not a huge rat fan, but you know, it seems a bit mean. Mm. I, I imagine the rats probably don't don't enjoy it. No. But, um, so um, what do they do to the rats? Well, so basically, what they do <laughs> is they they uh, get they get a, they get the you know stick the stick electrodes in the rat's muscle. Right. And then they uh, stimulate that muscle maximally. So they basically put electric current through the muscle, which is simula- stimulates uh, simulates a nerve impulse to that muscle, right? So mm. you know, if you put an electricity through a muscle, it turns the muscle on, mm. right? So if we, we they know how many volts to put through the muscle to maximally stimulate the muscle, so they fully recruit the, all of the muscle fibers. Mm. You with me? Mm. Enough. I'm still thinking about yeah. the rats. <laughs> I'm thinking like, why can't we do this shit to humans? If it's that important. You'll find out in a minute. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, was there not another way we could figure this out without um, torturing animals? And so then, and so they, they measure how much tension the muscle develops. You know, like they have a dynamometer there to see, you know, measure how much tension the muscle develops. Yeah. And uh, then they also do another thing where they get the muscle and they they just passively stretch it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they put put it in like a brace or something and they put a weight on the end to passively stretch it, right? Um, and they passively stretch it until it develops exactly the same amount of tension, mm. right? So they, so far, we're producing active tension by the muscle contracting, mm-hmm. right? And then sec- in the second group of rats, they produce passive tension by just stretching the muscle, pulling on the muscle. Gotcha. Right? But they're producing the exact same amount of tension in both situations. Understand. Right? And then the third group... We stimulate the muscle as before, but we inject some um, uh, proteins in there that basically prevent the muscle from contracting. We, we block the, the mm. myosin, right? So basically the muscle is trying to contract, so it's, it's activating, like all of the chemical things inside the muscle are happening, you know, calcium's released, blah, 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 stuff's mm. happening. But we, we can't process ATP in the, in the myosin, so the muscle doesn't develop any force, right? So there are three conditions. One is where the muscle contracts maximally, Mm-hmm. Right and produces force. The other one is where the muscle is stretched passively and produces the same amount of force. Right, um, and and the third one is where the muscle contracts but doesn't actually produce any force. Right, and then we cut the muscles out of the rats, and this is why you can't do it on humans. Okay. Right, the rats now. <laughs> the rats now deceased. Yes, yeah. yes, good. Um, and well, not good that the rats deceased, but you know. Yeah, so then we cut the muscles. Out. We wait. We wait a. You know, we wait a bit, a little bit, a couple of hours. Cut the muscles out of the rats, and then they measure basically the signalling protein that that signals the muscles to grow stronger. Right, it's called M M Talk One. Okay, um, and what they find is that in the in the active contraction group, there's a lot of it there, like the muscles going to get stronger. Mm-hmm. In the stretching group, it's the same amount of M Talk One. Right, so basically. If you stretch a muscle with equal force as it contracting, it's going to get bigger to the same degree. Whereas in the third group, where they just contract the muscle but doesn't produce force, no protein signaling. So what that basically tells us is tension on a muscle fiber is what stimulates the muscle to get stronger, not whether the muscle is activated. It's just the amount of tension that's on the fiber. That is, now, normally, tension on the fiber and activating the muscle go together, right? But it's it's actually the tension that produces the force that stimulates uh, muscle strengthening, not the activation. All right. So we know the tension stimulates muscle to get stronger, mm. right? Um, then we have this other line of research that looks at like, okay, does muscle damage, you know, add, you know, if we damage the muscles a little bit, does that stimulate them to grow stronger, you know, to rebuild stronger than before, right? Mm. And the short answer to that is no. So when we basically have groups of people that work, um, say if you were doing your leg press the other day, right? Mm-hmm. You What did you do, 10 reps, something like that? No, I did less because I wanted to. Awesome. How many reps did you do? I didn't go past eight. Awesome. I was going for stimulating. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So just say um, you did. I've learned from you, Raph. You I don't just go to the gym and go, oh, I'm going to do 20 reps. Right, so just say you do your eight reps, right? Yeah. How many sets did you do? Three. Right, so you did 24 reps all together, right? So just say you did, you know... And I did my proper weight time in between as well. Freaking awesome. So so if you'd been enrolled in this particular study, you would have done three sets of eight, but you would have just done a 30-second rest in between, so much shorter rest. Oh, right, right, okay. The goal was to fatigue. Oh, okay. The goal was to get us fatigued. So it would be eight reps to failure. Right. Right, with a 30-second rest in between. Oof. Right, so you imagine how sweet And then you have out. to pump another eight out. Yeah. My yeah. God. So this was like hardcore. The, the goal was to try and damage the muscles. But wait a second, right? they're doing this to humans or rats? Humans. Humans now, okay. Right. And then the other group does the same number of reps, but it's one rep every minute for 24 minutes. Right, so just imagine hop on the leg press, the same weight that you had on, 
Mm. One rep, hop off, walk around. Come back a minute later, one more rep, right? So basically you never get anywhere near failure, Mm. right? But you do the same total number of reps, right? So you have the same total amount of tension on your muscles, right? And we do that for 12 weeks and then we measure the circumference of your thigh Mm -hmm. and we find out whose muscles got bigger and guess what we find? No difference, Mm. right? And we measure how much stronger you got, like how much you can increase, how much you can press, Mm -hmm. no difference. So what we find is that a more damaging workout doesn't seem to produce superior strength gains or muscle growth compared to a less damaging workout of the same amount of volume. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It, it does. So DOMS are only, ex- like to, to loop it back, DOMS are only experienced if there has been damage. Yeah. If there hasn't been damage, regardless of whether there's been muscle growth or not, you won't have DOMS. Right. Right. So to get stronger, you need to put high levels of tension on your fibres, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And? You know what? Yeah. boom I think I've always been under kind of sort of the impression that to get stronger, it is, for want of a better word, you're causing some muscle damage. And like that's, a muscle growth yeah. equals damage. Mm-hmm. That's not accurate though, is it? No, it's a very common misconception though. Like it's a super common belief amongst like bodybuilders. And, and that's why you have and, your protein after your workout and whatnot to help counteract that. I'm just, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just saying this is a very common mm-hmm. narrative. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that there are people listening right now who have probably thought exactly as totally. I have thought. Yeah. So you should have protein after your workout. Well, it doesn't matter if you have it straight after the workout, but just you should have pro- like you should have a diet that has enough protein yes. in it. Um, and that's true. Yes. Um, and uh, But it's not got to do with muscle damage. Well, when you – after you work out, if you work out effectively, mm-hmm. there's a muscle protein synthesis, you know, the building of proteins within the muscle increases, mm-hmm. right? You build more proteins, right? The actinomycin of proteins, you mm-hmm. build more actinomycin. The more actinomycin you pack inside that muscle, the wider the cells get, the more contractile force you can generate because you've got more – units you know pulling on each other yeah right um and so that's what makes you that's the, the main thing that makes you stronger when you do exercise and so to build more protein actinomycin right well you've got to build protein out of amino acids got it got, right? it, got it and so to, if you to have amino acids in your bloodstream you've got to eat enough protein because mm. protein's made of amino acids and you know so if you don't if you don't have enough dietary protein it, you can't really get stronger hmm. so Back to that study. Mm-hmm. Sorry, whether there was damage or not damage, the strength gains were the same? Yes. Hmm. And this has been, uh, you know, there are many lines of evidence on this. Like, for instance, there are, there's a study that where they looked at um, uh, something that, that I'm pretty interested in is velocity loss. So basically, rather than sort of going to failure, they basically put a device like an inertia sensor, you know, like a GPS thing, right, on, on the bar or the the weight or the kettlebell or whatever, and they measure how fast it's moving, right? Do you have that? I've got one at home. Yeah, I thought you did. Um, and and it tracks the speed of the bar and you try and move the bar or the whatever, the weight, or what, as quickly as you can. And, of course, as you get tired, you 
move more slowly. Yeah. Right? You can't move as quickly when you're tired, right? And as you get more and more tired, you move more and more slowly until eventually you move so slowly that you stop moving, right? And that's right. called reaching failure. Right, right, right. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. And so the first, the first or second or third rep is always the fastest rep, right? It's never your tenth rep that's the fastest yeah. rep. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. So, and you know, anyone who's ever done push-ups towards failure yeah. has experienced this, right? You slow mm. down before you stop. And so, um, um, a lot of research over the last sort of five years has looked at. Um, stopping, you know, at certain percentage of velocity loss, right? So if, if we if we keep going until we like say we lose forty percent of our speed, or fifty percent of our speed, or twenty percent of our speed, or five percent of our speed, like, you know, how does that affect how much strength we get? You know, if we could do that like three times a week for twelve weeks, uh. you know, is one better or worse than the other, or they all about the same or whatever? And what we find is that um, basically anything from five percent, like if you if you do no velocity loss right? You get less strength gains, right? So if you basically, if you can do 10 reps Mm -hmm. and you just do one rep (laughs) and then wait three minutes and do one more rep, right? You're not going to maximize your strength gains, Mm -hmm. right? But if you go to the point where you're getting about a 5% velocity loss, which say if you could do 10 reps, right? That would be somewhere around four to five reps, Mm -hmm. right? So about half of your full, you know, reps that you could do. Um, Anywhere from five on up, you'll get the same strength gain. So if you do 5% velocity loss or you do 10 or 20 or 40 or 50 or failure, mm-hmm. you'll get the same amount of strength gains. Okay. Even though in the 5%, like so if 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 you were doing your eight reps on the on the leg press, right, at a 5% velocity loss, you probably would have done four reps per set at that weight. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. My yeah. I find all the percentages and whatnot hard to um, <laughs> hard to. But I'm, get, I'm getting what you're saying. I'm getting what you're saying. I found yeah. I found with my because um, I've got an inertial it, sensor. It, it seems quite complex to me. Well, it it really is pretty. It the science behind it is kind of complex, yeah. but it really is pretty simple, right? right? I've got a I've got a velocity sensor at home, like you said, and I yeah. use it when I when I work out, right? And it tells it beeps at me when I'm you know slow down past a certain point, cool. right? And so what I've learned is that when I'm working, like the fir- when I first notice that I'm slowing down, that's about a twenty percent reduction in speed, right? So I, the, the, I can detect when I'm twenty percent slower, mm. right? So if I'm say five or ten percent slower, I can't notice that. I'm not I'm not tuned enough in to to pick that up, right? Mm. So the first time I notice, like, oh, I'm starting to slow down, that's about twenty percent reduction in speed, right? So basically, you know, the take home message. If you wanted to get as strong as possible with the least possible effort, which seemed like a good plan to me, would be as soon as you start to notice you're slowing down, stop. The first rep where you're like, oh, I think that was a little bit slower, that's when you should stop. Mm. You know, and that might be three or four or five reps from failure. Mm. Okay. And if you go, so if you go closer to failure, you get more damage, you get more soreness, Mm. but you don't get more strength. Mm. <laughs> let's um let's apply this to a Pilates setting. Let's apply this to the the group Pilates class, uh, the group reformer class, where peeps coming in for that that ab burn, that you know that butt burn in those scooters. Uh, they want to feel the fire during the class. You know, a couple of couple of peak moments in the class where it's like. Oh my God, I'm shaking. There's no way I can do any more. Uh, you know, and then the instructor pushes you through those last couple of reps. You're like, oh my God, yes. Uh, and then you wake up the next morning and you've got a really sore butt. 
uh, you know, you, you have a laugh and you got realise your abs are really sore. And you think what an awesome class that was. What an awesome class. I'm going, Chloe, back to that genius. going back to that instructor. <laughs> so, um, all right. So I'm assuming that if you're listening to this, you already know how to make people's abs burn and their butts burn. That's kind of like, <laughs> kind of like the bread and butter That's of a Pilates instructor. Yeah. <laughs> so we I, all know how to do I that. Won't, I won't uh, insult your intelligence by telling uh, us how to telling do it. Do that. We know how to do it. Yeah. Um, but if you wanted to maximize DOMS, there are some, there's something you can do. Well, I'm so, I don't like, now I'm feeling a little bit conflicted. Do I freaking want to maximize DOMS, Raph? Uh-huh. I, like, would the, would the flip, <laughs> like, with the other thing being like, <laughs> Should we be shining the light and saying, well, you actually doms are something you don't want and here are the reasons why. I don't know. I'm a bit, I'm conflicted now. Um, well, I would say, um, you know, that's an ethical question that each of us has to find our own answer to. <laughs> um, in, for my own personal self, mm. I try and avoid doms wherever possible. Because wow. I, I don't enjoy being sore and it doesn't enhance the effectiveness of the workout. So why put myself through it? So why do you think I was so freaking sore the other day after I did my leg press? So here's the thing. Um, we don't know exactly what causes DOMS, right? It's related to exercise-induced muscle damage, right? But it's not the same thing as exercise-induced muscle damage, uh, like I said at the start. But we do know the situations that cause DOMS, right? So mm. don't, we don't know the actual physiology mm. of what causes it, but we do know the activities that cause it. And it's mm. unaccustomed exercise, particularly exercise at long muscle lengths. Awesome. There we go. So when you do unaccustomed exercise, mm-hmm. and particularly unaccustomed exercise at long muscle lengths, that's your formula for DOMS, right? So just and so this is something called the repeated bout effect. So basically, when you do a workout for the first time, you get sore, mm. right? But if you if you repeat that workout again within a week, you get a lot less sore the second time, and then the less sore again the third time. And by the time you get to the tenth time, it's like it doesn't even, you know, touch mm. the sides. It just goes down smooth, right? So in but if you do a different workout, right? So, you know, you do a lot of Pilates, mm. right? You did Pilates pretty much every day, mm. right? But then you did went to the gym and did one session of leg press and you couldn't walk for almost a week, right? Correct. Now, that's not because you're not in shape. It's because that, that particular exercise was unaccustomed for you, right. right? And leg press, I happen to know, you bend your knees right up into your chest yeah. right so your glutes and your adductors are going through a long muscle length like that and yeah. your quads like it's it's end range yeah i right? had and i was saying it was interesting because i expected that i would have some quad doms but it's mainly which your glutes i didn't and at all my my butt and my adductors those are the ones that are stretched maximally in that in that exercise Love, it, the 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 most residual discomfort were the adductors yeah well as you know uh, as where, as From the leg f- press. As you flex your hip, you know, beyond 90 degrees, the adductor magnus, which is the biggest of the adductors, becomes the, a really powerful hip extensor. Right. And so the more you flex your hip, the more the adductors are involved in hip extension, right? And so anyone who's ever done a lot of lunges, deep lunges, and then had sore inner thighs the next day, you know, yeah. has experienced that. So, yeah. so to increase DOMS, right, you need an unaccustomed workout, Right, so if you just give the same workout but do an extra ten reps or whatever on everything or add more more springs, it's not going to give you anywhere near the effect as if you go, hey, we do lunges all the time, let's do front splits, mm. right, or let's do side splits for inner thighs mm. instead tonight, right? Just an unaccustomed movement, right? And it doesn't have to be like I've never done it before. It just has to be I'm not in the habit of doing it, mm. right? So if you if you if you you do Pilates every day, if you stop doing Pilates for one week, and then you went to Pilates, you would get sore. 
Oh, well, I did I did one of Shaman's um, recorded masterclasses and he did this hellish um, uh, superset of um, – shout out to Shaman – superset of uh, scooters on progressively loading the springs and I was I was having to hold on to the foot bar for dear life for the last one. I was cursing the screen, shaking – I, I was freaking sore the next day. Because it was unaccustomed? Freaking sore. Right. So you've done that movement before but you've – done it with a really light spring probably right yeah. it's more about standing leg yeah right so this is the, the pushing with the yes the, the moving leg is an unaccustomed exercise for you yes right and so that's that's your that's your secret weapon mm. to create doms is just do unaccustomed exercise which doesn't mean the person's never done the movement before it's it means they're not in the habit of doing that movement say over the last two weeks mm. so if you sort of rotated your class programming right there are certain exercises that you would, you know, rely on for a, for a week or two and then switch it to the same muscle groups but different movements. Okay. So this brings me to another point. So the, the burning during the class, right, doesn't equate to DOMS afterwards at all. Exactly. Because I'm sure that when you're lifting your heavy weights, like you're getting – like I'm assuming you get to a point where it feels unpleasant no. in the moment. Oh, no. No? No pain. Okay. Even in those those deep squats you do, you don't feel Yeah, here's the thing. So are we are we done with DOMS? Are we done with DOMS? I reckon we are. What I don't, we're almost done. I feel almost done. Right. You don't you don't feel any in those squats you don't feel all right, anything? So we all right, let's talk about the burning, right? Uh, yeah, that's what right. I want to talk about. So the burn that you feel in your muscles during a workout is not the same thing as DOMS, like you say, right? Yeah. And that and is, it's not going to equal DOMS. And it doesn't equal DOMS, right? You can yeah. have a burn without DOMS, a burn with DOMS, yeah. DOMS with a burn, DOMS without a burn. It's like they're just not the same thing, yeah. right? Um, and so the burn that you feel during an exercise, right? So you're holding your side plank and your shoulder's burning or you're doing your clams and your butt's burning yeah. or you're doing your lunges and your thigh's burning or whatever, yeah. right? So that burn is related to um, free hydrogen ions or in other words, your acid inside your muscles, right? So when you produce force in your muscles for sustained periods at a high enough level, like say sustained periods, say more than like, you know, 30 seconds, mm-hmm. right? So if you're working on a, a one muscle group or whatever, for say, you know, even more than 10 seconds in some cases, but let's say like 10 seconds plus, right? Um, you the, the energy system that you use inside that muscle produces hydrogen ions as a byproduct, right? So it's like the exhaust that comes out of the back of the car, right? In this case, the exhaust that comes out of the back of your muscle cell, right, is includes hydrogen ions, right? Now, hydrogen ions are acidic, Right, so we've heard of hydrochloric acid, right? So hydrogen's part of that, so mm-hmm. acidic. And so, you know, when you get a lot of hydrogen ions building up inside your muscle, your muscle cell itself becomes acidic, which it doesn't like, right? So just imagine if we injected some hydrochloric acid into your muscles, like mm. <laughs> that's the same feeling, right? Yeah. And so that's the burn, right? And so, uh, so that discomfort says that your muscles are working at a high enough level, you're producing these hydrogen ions, and your muscles becoming acidic. Right. Right. And as soon as you stop working the muscle, well, your circulation clears out the hydrogen ions and it, it goes away, right? Right. But that doesn't tell you whether you had high levels of mechanical tension on that muscle fiber. And it doesn't tell you whether you did any damage to that muscle fiber. I gotcha. Fiber. I gotcha. Hmm. This is also interesting. So there's a comment, and I know we're, we're almost done, but if there's a, two things I haven't, I don't know if we've touched on. So there's a common misconception with DOMS that it's a buildup of lactic acid. Yeah, that's not true. Yeah. Could 
yeah, just that that's the answer. It's um, just well, that's not true because that's a very common narrative. Yeah. And I used to say it myself. I've said that to clients before. Yeah, and and this is only over the probably, probably last you know three to five years that this science has emerged, or I've become aware of it. That uh, actually that theory of lactic acid producing that soreness is has been kind of discredited. Okay. Um, lactic acid is produced in your muscles as you work, but it's then um, converted into pyruvate and recycled and used as an important energy substrate. Pyruvate. It. Yeah. Pyruvate. Yeah. P- you heard that word in my life. Y-R-U-V-A-T-E, pyruvate. Yeah. And what is pyruvate? It's just a... <laughs> I'm going to have to explain the whole Krebs cycle like, here. Pyruvate. <laughs> um, it's pyruvate. It's just basically it, when you break down glucose... In your side, your muscle cells to produce energy. Okay. Okay. Um, one of the byproducts is lactate, which you can then convert into pyruvate, which is basically sort of like a part of a glucose molecule, right? It's with a bit of a few bits snipped off. How do you keep this stuff in your head, Raf? Uh, Without having know, the well, alien size head. But I can't, like, honestly, <laughs> you know, there are so many things pyruvate. I can't remember. Like, <laughs> we were driving, you know, to the local milk bar the other day, local cafe the other day. My wife was like, turn left here. I'm like, you sure? She's like, yes, we've been here like a hundred times before. (laughs) (laughs) That makes me feel better. I'm like, you remember something like pyruvate? I've never heard that in my entire existence. Um, So anyway, I know pyruvate. I remember it now though. I don't know a lot of other things. Okay. Oh, good. Um, That makes me feel better. Um, Okay, cool. Now there's a, there's another sort of, there's a, a really extreme sort of DOMS, um, which the one where your muscles actually, yeah, rhabdo. yeah. What's it called? Rhabdomyolysis. Yeah, and that's basically that? where your you do so much damage to your muscles. There's so much rupture of muscle cell. There's so many inner bits of muscles floating around in your bloodstream that your bloodstream becomes septic, right? Because that's right. not dead tissue floating around in your bloodstream, right? Right. There's like that muscle is no longer living. It's dead, right? So you've basically taken like a bit of a dead rat and injected it into your bloodstream. Bloody hell! So that's a life-threatening situation. Yes. Because I've read a few horror stories about that, particularly with athletes. Yeah, and this is like you know, this, this is not, is not the, Pilates the Pilates class, no. guys. It's this not is the Pilates like class. Ultra marathon, yeah. four days across the yes. you know Nevada desert or something. You know, yeah. or the the CrossFit Games person. Who's, uh, it was a CrossFit you know, game actually eight, that eight I read the story of about lifting or something. You know, yeah. it's like ridiculous. And she ended up in hospital, yeah. and she said her thighs had like blown up, and right. yeah. you got dead bits of you floating around inside you. So it's no. like taking doms to the absolute extreme yeah, length. Yeah, yeah. Ah, wow. Can I just finish off with one thing about the the squat? Like yes. when I do a deep squat, like yeah. a heavy squat, and why I don't get pain? Yeah. So we said that the burn is the hydrogen ion, hydrogen ions, you know, um, accumulating inside your muscle cell, right? Uh-huh. Which hydrogen ions basically acidic, yep. right? Um, and so we said that that was uh, they're a kind of a byproduct of that breakdown of glucose when you burn glucose within your you know glycogen glucose within your blood cell within your muscle cell to produce energy, you know we break the glucose down and release energy and one of the things that we break it down into is hydrogen ions plus lactate plus this plus this plus this right, um, and so the hydrogen ions are like kind of irritating to the cell um, when you exercise Adam higher intensity, right? So when your muscle cells working harder, right, has to produce more force more quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Burn, breaking down glucose is too slow, right? You, you can't burn the glucose fast enough to produce enough energy to to contract the cell as quickly as you need to, right? Mm-hmm. 
So you need a, a quicker source of energy. So you use um, what's called phosphocreatine, which is just a, it's another chemical that's stored within your muscle cell, right? And it's like, it's, it's like this super high, like imagine like if you were using a, making, lighting a fire, mm-hmm. right? The, the glucose is like the log that you put in there that's going to burn for ages, right? And it's going to produce lots of energy, but it takes a long time to produce that energy. Whereas the phosphocreatine is be like kerosene, Wow. Right? Okay. Like, but then yeah, yeah. gone. Right? right. The kerosene is going to burn itself out in a few seconds. Mm. Right. Whereas that log's going to last for hours. Yep. Right. So if you're running a marathon or whatever, you're using glucose. Right. Right. But if you're lifting a like a maximal squat or a maximal deadlift or you're, you're doing a, a burpee or something like that, you're using phosphocreatine. Uh-huh. Right. The kerosene. Right. You're burning kerosene. Right. Mm-hmm. You've only got enough phosphocreatine stored in your muscle to last you about 10 or 12 seconds. Right, so if you do anything so in, like that lasts for longer than ten or twelve seconds, you run out of phosphocreatine, and that's why you can't sprint flat out, right? Absolutely flat out for more than ten or twelve seconds, mm. right? If you go for twenty seconds, you can't run as fast, right? Right, because you have to go down to burning logs, <laughs> right, instead of uh, kerosene. Yep, awesome right? analogy. But the kerosene doesn't produce free hydrogen ions, right? So when you use phosphocreatine, I mean, think about it. If you have you ever done, you've done sprints? You do sprints all the I time, love right? Sprinting. So when you do a sprint, and I'm talking about, sprint. don't know if this, don't know how I'm doing them all the time at the moment. That's like, so let's keep things honest here. But <laughs> there was a point where I was doing them all the time. Feel well, a little suck on so the sprints. I'm talking lately. about like a, a twenty or thirty meter sprint, like a really short sprint. Yeah. Right. So so short that it's maximum, and you you almost don't even have to breathe the whole time. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like it's just so short; it's yeah. over before it yeah. starts almost. Right. You, you don't get burning during that, do you? No. No burning, right? Same if burn you do a little Hard a little bit at the end, but. You, it gets harder. Heart. My heart burns a little. I've always done that. Yeah. <laughs> well, but you'd, you're but probably you'd... going longer than 10 seconds. Right. Then, okay. Gotcha. Right? For the first 10 seconds, I guarantee you, no burning. Uh-huh. Because you're using phosphocreatine, doesn't produce hydrogen ions, your cells don't become acidic, therefore no burn. Right? right. But what does happen, right, if you're lifting something so heavy, right, or if you're doing say it was, you know, when I'm doing a squat, right? I do three reps, mm-hmm. right? I'd make it so heavy that I can only do three reps, right? Mm-hmm. And that takes me what? Three reps takes me like four seconds, five mm-hmm. seconds, right? So I never run out of phosphocreatine. Uh-huh. Right? So uh-huh. I never produce free hydrogen ions. Uh-huh. So I never get a burn. Uh-huh. Okay. Hmm. So when we started this conversation, we kind of, you know, I kind of said, is getting DOMS bad, right? Because you're kind of like it's muscle damage, da da da. And you said maybe sorta, mm-hmm. but if we kind of loop through and go on, well, if you like DOMS, go for DOMS. If you don't like DOMS, don't. If your clients um, like them, produce them. You know how to produce them. If do, do you know what I mean? Like where do we yeah, where do well, we sit I, with it? I would say my position is if if people are coming to you with their wallets out saying, "Give me DOMS, please. Here's my credit card." <laughs> <laughs> I would say, sure, how much DOMS would you like? You know? <laughs> because I don't think you're actually harming those people, you know, in any significant way. And I think excess, the benefits of exercise, you know, vastly, vastly outweigh, you know, the, the drawbacks of getting some DOMS. Right. right. You know, so you're way better to exercise and get DOMS than to not exercise. Right. Right. It's just, that's a hand, like, that's a, that's an open misere. Like that's, yeah. that's an easy, easy decision. Yeah. Right. Um, so I don't have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the person was like, oh, gee, I love working out, but the soreness afterwards is kind of a downer, right? right. Then I'll be like, well, great. We don't have to have soreness to afterwards, 
right? Right. We're just not going to, we're not going to push near failure. We're going to stop. As soon as you start to slow down, we're going to stop, mm-hmm. right? And we're going to keep doing the same workout so you're accustomed to uh-huh. it. We're not going to mix it up all the time and go, hey, different, 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 mm. right? Or we could use that power of evil and mix it up all the time and go near failure and then you would get more doms, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then I could, you know, charge you with a clear conscience. Yeah. Um, but is, all right, so is it bad? Maybe. Well, it is, it is. You know, we said at the start that DOMS is not the same thing as muscle damage, right? But it's related to muscle damage, right? So when you get DOMS, that's probably a good indicator that there was some muscle damage, right? right? But, you know, more DOMS doesn't necessarily mean more muscle damage. Correct. And the DOMS sticking around for longer doesn't mean the muscle damage sticking around for longer. But the fact that there's DOMS suggests that there's muscle damage, Yeah. right? Now, when you, when you work out, that stimulates your muscles to get stronger, you know, you put high levels of mechanical tension on the muscle fibers that stimulates them to get stronger. And in getting stronger, you have to build more proteins, more actinomycin within those fibers, right? Which means you need to synthesize or make, you know, construct those proteins within your cells. Your DNA is what makes proteins, right? So your DNA is busy churning out these proteins to make your muscles stronger. Now, if you damage those muscles, right? If you if you do a workout that damages those muscles, right? well, muscles are made of protein, right? You need to repair the muscles. In order to repair muscles, you've got to build or synthesize or manufacture protein, mm-hmm. right? So the same DNA that is supposed to build the proteins that are going to make your muscles stronger is now been is now the same factories building repairing muscles, Aye. right? So if you've got one one work crew, right, and you can say, okay, go and make that house better over there, right? Or if you say, okay, go and make that house better over there, but first I'm going to knock out this wall. Mm. You've got to fix it, <laughs> right? It's going to take them longer to make it better, right? Because first they've got to fix the wall you knocked out, right? So now that's not a, an established fact yet, right? But that's the kind of the current thinking, mm. as I understand it, in the scientific community. So the, the, the DOMS or the muscle damage, you know, possibly, I would say it's a possibly, retards the speed of of how much you can increase your strength because you're spending some part of that energy instead of increasing strength you're spending it on just repairing the damage that you caused Mm. fascinating Mm. but i would say like for you know if if you were an elite athlete right if you were like in the olympics or at an elite level in some sport and your goal was to be as strong as possible i would say let's avoid doms right right but because every quarter of a percent, you know, <laughs> is important, mm. right? But if you're just the average person going to Pilates, even someone who's a dancer or whatever, it's like being like a quarter of a percent stronger is not going to really make any difference in your life. Yeah. You know, the fact that you're working out and, and doing some form of strengthening is like 10,000 fold better than not doing it. Mm. And having like an extra quarter of a percent on top of that is really like, who cares, right? So doms, no doms, whatever, who cares, you know? Doesn't make any difference, I'd say. And if they if their credit cards out and they're ready to go, I would say sign here. It's really this this com- <laughs> this conversation's really changed my mind about DOMS <laughs> and about whether you know about me actively seeking them out <laughs> <laughs> and me giving validation to my you know level of workout. I think it was it was. Do you know? I think if I wasn't getting DOMS, I was berating myself. Um, unconsciously, like I wasn't going, oh my God, you, you know, but now I'm thinking, like I'm sitting here and reflecting as we come to the end of this discussion and, and going in detail through, you know, what is really happening. 
um, yeah, I think I was kind of, I think I was putting myself down a bit if I wasn't getting doms and going, okay, well, you didn't work out hard enough. Duh, duh, duh. So yeah. this for me, Raph, and I'm potentially for some of our listeners as well, because um, I'm assuming they're going to be having light bulb moments like like me because I think a lot of, you know, how I've understood it is how the majority of us understand it. So maybe we can all have a bit of a moment and go, well, cool, got no doms today. Mm. Awesome. Mm. So I'm feeling I'm feeling more empowered mm. by it and I won't be an active dom seeker from now on. Well, that, I'm, I'm excited to hear that, Chloe. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's great. Super interesting, Raph. Mm. It is pretty interesting. Yeah, isn't it? my brain was really, <laughs> my brain was like, <laughs> I had to work hard on that one. <laughs> it was great. Mm. Thanks, Raph. Good talk. Yeah, great talk. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So Rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.